Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the true light, which is your Son, which is the expression of your love from your own heart. Lord, I pray that your light would come into each of us this morning, that you would bring brightness of your very glory into us and into our lives. Lord, I pray that we would bear witness to you and that we would continue in this gift for the rest of our lives. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. I uh, wanted to continue um, with the gospel reading this morning, but I didn't have the passage memorized, and it wasn't, it wasn't in the book, so I, uh, I did end up stopping there, but there is additional, it looks like you probably knew that, right? I think I saw, Jim, you, no, you noticed, like, oh, you're not gonna read the rest of that. Um, but praise the Lord, the entire gospel has been delivered to us, <laughs> and uh, we can enjoy some of the additional pieces that are in here if you wanna take a look with me at the rest of the, uh, the gospel this morning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The word of the Lord. It's important to continue with that because it's, uh, in some ways, this entire little snippet of scripture is the gospel in a nutshell. You could, uh, you could, actually, you could take the first verse, you could say that's a nutshell. The first three verses, that's a nutshell. And then this entire section is a nutshell of the entire gospel. It's an incredible picture of how it is that God actually saves us and what it means that he became flesh and dwelt among us. I think most of the ways that we think about Christmas, nativity, is this little babe who comes into the world through Mary's trust in the Lord and saying yes to him. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he becomes incarnate. And then he's born in Bethlehem in the house of bread is the transliteration of the name of that city. And he is the true bread from heaven. He even speaks of that when John here is, is referring to the word becoming flesh. He's um, anticipating a little bit about what Jesus is gonna say about how do we participate in him? We participate by, by consuming his flesh and even drinking his lifeblood, right? But not in a really gross and cannibalistic sense. That's what the persecutors of the church actually thought back in those days. But in the sense like God's really present to us. And because he took flesh and because he became a human with breath and blood and vulnerability, the light has come into our darkness. The light has come into our loss and filled us with hope. And so this is the full expression of the gospel in a nutshell. And John is a little different from the other gospels. Well, Mark kind of dives right in. You know, he's got John the Baptist and then, he, then uh, Jesus is baptized and things move at a very, very fast clip in the gospel of Mark. And Luke and Matthew, they start off um, a little bit differently. Luke is very specific about the, all of the ancestors of Jesus. And Luke is too. Um, uh, Mark, Matthew is as well. 
And um, John does something totally different. When he's talking about the nativity, and we're still celebrating the nativity, the Christmas season, we have actually two Sundays this year, which is fun. He's, um, he's going way, way beyond, um, you know, uh, you know, from Abraham down to David down to Joseph. He's going way beyond that kind of ancestry. He's speaking of Jesus as God. He's speaking of Jesus as the word, the word of God. There's something about John, the way John approaches it throughout his gospel that is so, it's almost like his, his gospel witness, and he thinks of himself as a witness, is like a prayer. The entire thing is as a prayer. It's like somebody who is so close to Jesus throughout his earthly ministry has a special intimacy with, with the Lord and in the Spirit who is the one that Jesus sends, the other helper. And John seems to be continuing in this way of intimacy as he shares every step of the way as this good news unfolds in Jesus. And so John has this insight that I don't, feel and I don't see in the other gospels and I think most scholars who interpret scripture would say that's true. He sees it at a different level. It's like at a, he, he, he penetrates more deeply and his, they even think that of, of John as, as an eagle. That's how they describe him. And it's particularly this section of the, his gospel that, that makes them say he's the eagle. You know, you've got Mark is like the lion because he's always running through the gospel story. And Luke is, um, was he a ram, I think? So his is much more focused on the, uh, the sacrifice. And um, Matthew is the human face. You know, they're using these angelic for, you know, these angels in the holy place to describe with the different ways that the gospels communicate who Jesus actually is. And all of those things are really important. All four gospels are important. But John is called the eagle partly because he's, he's this person who kind of, He's, in some ways, he's the most down-to-earth because it makes such a big deal about, um, he says it in his first letter to the church, you know, we, we touched him, we handled him, and we talked with him, we saw him. And he makes a big deal about, like, I saw with my very eyes when the, the blood and the water came out of his flesh, when his side was pierced, I saw. So he's very down-to-earth. And yet at the same time, he's, he's ascended to a place of understanding that I think most of us maybe wish that we understood. Sometimes if you really enter into his gospel, I think you get a feel for it. John is um, seeing truly and deeply and, and greatly into who Jesus actually is. He's picking up a little bit on some of the scriptures that were before, you know, after the Old Testament canon was closed, we have what Malachi is the last book in our Old Testament. There was a few scriptures in that period that were not considered canonical, not really as authoritative, and some of them were wisdom books. And one of them is, um, is, the, is the wisdom book, and it, it describes the word leaping down from heaven. You know, that we, I think we quote it in one of our Christmas hymns, um, when half spent was the night. You know, that there's this, this word that leaps down from heaven, and then it says that, you know, he, like a mighty victor, he conquers his enemies, swinging a sword. And um, so that fits really well with the kind of uh, Messiah that, they would have anticipated, but John is seeing it quite differently here. The way that he's coming in, it starts off very quietly and very silently. It'll continue in that same way. When he says grab a sword to Peter, and Peter grabs a, a sword and cuts off a guy's ear, what, what Jesus is beginning to show is that the way that he cuts through with his word 
the way that he cuts through and is that word of God is by entering into our flesh and then dying in our flesh, dying in the vulnerability of our own death, the one that we deserved because we pulled away from the source of life. You can't live without life. We pulled away from him. Jesus enters into that and conquers it. He is a mighty sword conquering his enemy, our enemy for us, which is death, and sin, which caused it in the first place. He completely overcomes it. But he does this in a very quiet and unexpected way. He does it ultimately through the cross, but it starts as a babe. It also starts in very hidden ways. In the very beginning of the Gospel of John, he says, in the beginning. And um, he's quoting, in fact, Genesis in its opening passages. So he also wants to make clear that there's something new that's being created here. There's a new creation that's begun, and Jesus is referred to as the firstborn of that new creation. But he's also the creator, um, as it's put in the Old Testament. He's the wisdom who's that craftsperson alongside God who's making everything, and that's how the early church would understand Jesus being the word. He is the word in the beginning who is with God creating, and he is God. And there were John is with the other theologians trying to, how can I describe to you that the word became flesh? So he's trying to come up with ways of having us understand it. So he says in the beginning, and there's a new creation that's happening here, in the beginning. And John's gospel is his story of how Jesus starts the beginning of our lives. This is a time of year when things are, well, dead or dormant, I guess. Um, And we're not anywhere near spring, so the night is half spent. It's middle of the night from a seasonal standpoint, and we need new beginnings. We need um, new things. And the Lord is ever coming to us, ever speaking his word so that we can have that new beginning and that new life. And it's still happening right now. There's also another way that we could think about this because when it says in the beginning, it's in the Greek, it's in arche is what that word is. Does that sound familiar, arche? That word is the same word we have in archaeology, right? It's the same word that we have in monarchy. And so in some ways what, what he's saying is this isn't just the beginning as the first in a series. This is also, this is also, it, it, it is that, right? It's the beginning in the first of a series. But it's also the root of all existence. It's the root of all that is. Everything that comes into being has its root in the him who is I am. And he refers to himself as I am several times in the gospel. And in the beginning, he is there, in the beginning, in this space, with God. And he is God. And in Arche, he is. The other thing that we think about with monarchy, right, we get a little bit of a picture of this, is it's, it's a rulership. Except what, what John is saying is that this is a divine rulership. It's a di- divine kind of government. Everything that's being run in the world right now according to the world ways is not good and we feel it acutely, don't we? Everything that I run in my own life, it is often going off the rails when I am running it myself. It's often going off the rails. And what John is saying is that there's a new government here and it's the government of the life-giving way of being. Oh, Siri thinks I'm calling upon her. But actually, the Lord is calling upon us. And so 
he is, in the beginning, here initiating a new government in a hidden, unexpected, vulnerable way. And that vulnerability of becoming flesh is what ultimately John is so astounded by when he says, I saw that blood and that water, and these bear witness to him who is I am. And there is a new government. One of the ways that, uh, I forget who first put it this way, described how John is trying to convey to us who Jesus really is. He says it's almost like Jesus is a God striding through creation on his way to enthronement. And that enthronement is on the cross. And it's once again a revelation of the flesh, of God in the flesh, of God coming into our suffering, of God coming into our lives run wrong and changing it and converting it and making it new so that we can enter in. This is what he is starting here. This is the new birth. Very shortly in the gospel, we'll talk about the need for all of us to enter into that new birth from above, through the cross, through the spirit. When Jesus is lifted up on the cross, we have the possibility of becoming born Just as Eve was born from the side of Adam as he slept, the church understands itself to have been born from the side of our pierced Lord when he was pierced. And that's how John understands it. And so we have a new beginning that becomes very personal through our Lord's entrance into our flesh and into our existence. And it's a new way, a new government. It's also the Word, it's the Word. He is the Word. The word here is um, logos in the Greek. We get the word logical from it. So it has some of those connotations to it um, because when he speaks, it, it is, it's logical. It's coherent. So there's some, some aspects to that. And Jesus' fullest expression isn't just his words that he actually spoke when he walked the earth and taught the disciples. It's not just his teaching, his doctrine. It is that, but it's much more than that. What he wants is for that word, the entirety of who he is, to be heard. And that means everything that he did, everything that he um, showed us about the Father as he walked through, and everything especially that he did leading up to the cross, suffering and dying, and then rising and ascending. Every part of who he is is the word. It's an expression of God's love, and he so loves us that he wants to make sure we get the message. And so he is that word that speaks. I think when you are talking to somebody that you care about, you do your best to express your heart for them. And God, the Father's heart for us is one of love. And he saw that we were like the prodigal children. We were so far away, we'd forgotten who we were. And he wants us to remember and come to ourselves. And so he he opens up his heart. Jesus, it says at the end of this passage, he is the one who's at the Father's side, you know? And, and John sees himself as, as a disciple who's at the, at the side of the Lord as he is at the Last Supper. And, and we're supposed to be in this place where we can hear the heartbeat of God's love and receive that heart of love, where we can stand at the foot of the cross and see that heart of love springing forth towards us, where we can, we can come alive again and really hear the word really receive that word that gives life. 
that word that speaks to us. You know, when we talk to our loved ones, if, if you're married or you have a, a, a significant other, or if you have a sibling or a dear friend, you really want to connect with them. And you do your best to express everything that's on your heart for them and how much you care about them. And if they're suffering, you want to make sure that your wholeness is something that you can share with them. And if you had the possibility of making your wholeness their wholeness, you would do it because you care about them. And Jesus' heart for us is just that. It's, it's, it's the heart of the Father. It's the heart of Jesus. It's the continued heart of the Spirit who, who is love. And his heart of love wants us to be whole. And it's not just that he wants us to be whole. He, he can actually make us whole. He comes into that flesh. Our flesh will die. And he transforms it so that we don't have to be subject to that death as if it's the final end as if it's a period at the end of the sentence and there's no more that's said. He is a word that continues to speak us into life eternally if we will hear that word and if we will let it speak to our hearts and let that word reach our hearts. If we will have ears to hear, Paul prays that the church would have such an ear to hear this word, this word that's the perfect expression of the new government, of the new beginning. And the word is with God, The word is with God. This speaks a little bit to how it is that we can receive the the perfect communication of God. How can we really enter into that communication that it takes us into him? Because when you're communicating with somebody else, the ideas that are in you, when they get formed in somebody else, it's like your minds are identical, right? If I say logic, Jim, and you hear the word logic, now that word is in your brain and my brain, and our brains are really linked. Right? Because I'm, I'm saying brain. I, I don't like that word that much. I like heart better. But when we really communicate, we commune with another person. And when we communicate around the most important truth that ever came into being, that ever is, and actually it's the truth that's behind all being, and it's the light that's, that's life, right? So when we communicate, bear witness to that, we're sharing something divine. Jesus is that divine communication. He comes in, and he is so communicative of it that we can be with God. And how is he with God? He is God. He's with God as the Word. He's with God the Father. He's actually seen God the Father. We haven't seen God the Father. We've seen Jesus, like Philip learned. Show us the Father, he says. Philip, how can you say, show us the Father? I've been with you forever, this whole entire journey. And so we can see God, but we see him again in his humanity in the flesh. So we're actually with God when we're with Jesus. There's something else I wanna pull out of this though because when it, says, when it says that the word is with God, John is giving us a hint about how we can receive the word in such a way that we're really with God. Because it, it, we often translate it as with and it's a fair enough translation, but there's another way to say it that he's actually turned towards God. And there's plenty of scriptures when it says your heart isn't turned towards God when it's saying your life is a mess. Your heart is not turned towards God. You're looking in a different direction. You could also say face to face. Jesus, the word, is continually face to face with the Father. So he's continually communing with the Father. John says, I, Jesus in John says, I listen to every word that comes from the Father. I see everything that he's doing and I'm in complete tune with that and I'm communicating that so that you can come into it. He's 
completely turned to the Father. He's face to face with the Father so that his face is a perfect, perfect expression. He is the one who explains the Father to us in a human face. And it's because he's turned to the Father. And he's never not been looking to the Father. The moment he looks to the Father, he's, he's in a place of receiving the Father's love, returning the Father's love, and then he brings us into that. What's really interesting to me is that because he loves us so much, because the Father loves us so much, is that Jesus, being in that love, turned to him, becomes the Father's heart of love turned towards us. Like, his turning to the Father of love is not different from his turning to us in love. The other thing about being with God in the way that you can, you can understand it in this particular text is that it, it, it means that Jesus is ever moving towards God. He's never not moving towards God. So his, his face is turned to God. His, his attentions are directed to God. And he's ever moving towards him. That's what it means to really be with God. And Jesus, the word, is communicating how to be with God because that's how he is. To turn towards God, Jesus is existing in the real life. He has that real life in him. That's how he is, is described later on. He says, the Father has given it to me to have life in me just as he has life in him. And then that life shared with us becomes our life. It's a light that overcomes darkness and establishes a new way of being. And God the Father is known through Jesus and this love. I started off by saying this is a completely different way of, of um, understanding the coming of Jesus when he became flesh and started off as a babe, a vulnerable babe, who was completely dependent upon the care of his mother and father. He ultimately is vulnerable to the Father and vulnerable to us when he dies on the cross and his flesh is hurt for our sake. And it's for the sake of revealing this glory of God, the Father, that he does all of this. Because when, when we see the glory of God, the Father, we become alive and we really see it. But to really see it in John's gospel means to enter into this place of vulnerability and connection with one who is vulnerable as a babe but also as a suffering one who dies in order to reveal the glory of God the Father in order to have his glory shine. That's the light that he wants us to see and to walk in. So much of this is hard to convey because I'm using prose. John the eagle is contemplating these things that are so beyond what we normally think about that he has to use poetry and he has to use a hymn. The sadness that I have for our age and I have it even for myself is that we've lost that kind of way of communicating. We've lost poetry. We've lost that kind of expression that goes beyond words. And John is like, this has to go somehow beyond words. And he is the word. That's the thing. He's the word. And yet this has to go beyond words. 
It has to somehow sink deeply into our hearts that God has become flesh and he's dwelt among us so that the glory of God could be our glory, so that the glory of God could even show up in our suffering and our hurt. And he enters into that suffering and the hurt because that's a real problem. And he enters in with the the government of our lives that's completely messed up so that he can install a new government and a better way of being. And he's trying to communicate all of these things because he wants us to live in a kingdom of love and a kingdom of glory. The word there, dwelt among us, is the same word as tabernacling in the Old Testament. Exact same word. So the glory of God descends in a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke, and it's the glory of God. And it's descending into a human body here. Jesus has descended as God, I am, in his glory in a fleshly, vulnerable body. He makes it really clear. Destroy this temple in three days, I I will raise it. It's his body that's the temple. It's the place where the glory of God now resides. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's a very uh, pointed word. He wants us to have a place in the temple. And that particular place is the meeting place of God. It's the holy of holies. I'm going to prepare for you a meeting place with God. You can be turned towards the Father the way I am. You can hear the words the way that I've been hearing the words. You can enter into a new beginning continuously, a new way of being every day. His mercies are new every morning. You can enter into this. I'm going to prepare a place for you and by the Holy Spirit, you will be there in the Holy of Holies and that's why it's good that I go to the cross. That's why it's good that I ascend because you will be able to enter into this incredible conversation with the Word, with the Father, in the Spirit. You'll be able to enter into this new government, this new beginning and it will be glorious. It will be the presence of God in your life face-to-face. He's ever moving towards you even now, wanting to have this conversation with you even now through the Spirit. He wants the Spirit to bring forth these words that you would remember them and live in that conversation. So John is just working so hard, and I'm working hard to try and help you see this impossible necessity. John's whole gospel is like a prayer. He's proclaiming the gospel good news. The whole thing is like a prayer. Every single time he's talking, it's not just information he's conveying. These are words of transformation. Every single time he's bearing witness to Jesus, he understands that he's bearing witness to the one who's bearing witness to the Father so that we can live a life of witness, which is an interesting word. He wants us to enter into a life of witness. One of the bizarre things about this week, and I'm gonna end in this, is that right after Christmas, this wonderful, delightful, homey celebration of Jesus in the manger and the love of Mary and Joseph is the martyrdom of Stephen. And then there's holy innocence, when all these, these innocent babes are remembered because Herod killed them because he was afraid there was a new king that was gonna come. He was afraid that Jesus was actually going to be some kind of Messiah king who would overthrow him, and he wanted to get rid of them, so he killed every child that fit that age. Holy innocence. So we've got two stories that are remembered in the life of the church right after Christmas. Stephen, on the 26th, St. Stephen's Day, 
Stephen is like the, the first martyr of the church. So you could say he's even the first saint that's celebrated as a, as a great one. Martyr actually is what we translate as witness. He's a witness. John sees himself as a witness. He wants us to be witnesses. He wants us to be witnesses of Jesus' own witness, which happens especially on the cross. The other thing about Stephen is he's not just a martyr. His name actually means crowned one. He's actually showing a different kind of governments and a different kind of a sword in his own life. He's actually entering into this kind of witness that is okay is okay with being vulnerable for the sake of bearing witness. It's a different way of being. It's so different. And John is trying to show us a word who speaks so profoundly and so amazingly that it launches a new creation. Stephen, as he's bearing witness, you can tell he's praying. He's even seeing the heavens opened up. There's an apocalypse at that moment and he sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father and Jesus is like cheering him on as he bears witness. And Stephen makes his way from this life into the acclaim of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, these are things that are beyond our ability to completely appreciate apart from you helping us. Lord, I just pray that you would grant us the gift of your spirit this morning. Lord, we we need you to bring us into this conversation. We, We need you, probably many of us, Lord, need you to clear our eyes so that we can see, unstop our hearing so that we can hear maybe soften our hearts so that we can become flesh and dwell with you, that our hearts would be soft like yours towards us, that we would be tender to your love and then tender to others in love. Lord, this is your desire, this is your prayer, you're praying even now that we would be one in the way that you're one with the Father, so tender to his love and therefore so loving to us. Lord, let us be like you. Lord, grant your spirit to us that your words could be heard in our hearts and written into them. Lord, grant us a way of being that's like John, that can lean into you in intimacy, can ascend with you in the spirit and prayer, can worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, as we come to our confession, I pray that that tenderness would sink deeply into hearts that are humble. I pray, Lord, that as we rise and then come into communion, that we would receive a full communication of your word in your body and your blood. And Lord, I pray that ultimately as we walk out of this place that you would send us forth to bear witness to you and the glory that has come through you. Grant us, Lord, a silent heart that your word would speak into it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.